You know, there are certain questions that we ask ourselves every day uh, that really don't matter uh, in terms of any length of time, just really matter for the moment. Questions like, uh, what am I going to eat for lunch? doesn't matter that long. Uh, You know, tomorrow won't matter uh, how we answered that question today. Or, you know, what am I going to do this weekend? It doesn't have a long length of time where the answer to that question really matters. There are other questions that uh, matter a little bit more, like, you know, who should I make friends with? Or maybe uh, asking the question, how should I manage my money? What should I spend my money on? Those are questions that might have a little longer of a shelf life. Now, there are, there are questions that have major, uh, that are of major importance to us, like uh, who should I marry? Or what should I do for a living? Those are questions that are a lot more important than what am I going to eat for lunch this afternoon? But there are four very major and fundamental questions that every man needs to have an answer to, and every man needs to uh, have an understanding of. These are the four most fundamental questions uh, that face any human being. And these four most fundamental questions of life are questions of origin, questions of purpose, uh, questions of uh, morality, and questions of destiny. The question of where did I come from? The question of why am I here? The question of what is the right thing to do? And the question is, the last question of where am I going? Well, today as we conclude our six-week series on why we believe what we believe, we're going to be focusing in on uh, this question um, of where am I going, this last of the most fundamental questions. Where am I going? Uh, we believe what we believe um, based on... The evidence is what I've been trying to unpack in the last five weeks. Why do we believe our fate and our destiny is connected with our relationship with Christ is really the question we want to ask today. Why do I believe that where I am going is connected with my faith or lack of faith in Jesus Christ? Why do I believe that the end of my life is determined by where I'm placing my life today? Why do I believe is the last question. Why do we believe, rather, is the last question. Why do we believe that our response to Christ is a matter of life and death? Again, we have been going over this God or no God chart. You know, either there's a God or there isn't a God. Either he's personal or he's impersonal. If he's personal, uh, that would mean he has mind, will, and emotion. If If he does have mind, will, and emotion, the question becomes, does he communicate with us? If he communicates with us, is the Bible God's word? And secondarily, is Jesus Christ the word in the flesh? And today we're coming to the last of this chart, which is man's response to God, either life or death. Our destiny, we believe, is determined by our response to Jesus Christ. Why do we believe that the ultimate outcome of our lives is determined by how we respond to this man, Jesus Christ? Where are we going? What are the forces that determine our destiny? That's what we want to ask this morning. You may have watched the news this summer, and I think it was August 17th, um, a Fox newsman named Steve Santani and his cameraman, Olaf Wig, were abducted off the streets of Gaza by Islamic militants. They were taken out of their car at gunpoint. They were forced into the militant's car. They were handcuffed. Uh, with plastic restraints and uh, put in the back seat of this car and they were whisked off to who knows where. They didn't know where they were going. Well, 
at one point prior to them being thrown down onto the dirt floor of a garage, face down in the dirt, bound uh, in, in very painful and uncomfortable positions, Olaf Wig actually asked one of his captors, where are we going? Kind of a natural question, where are we going? His captor said, to hell. You're going to hell. Think about what that would be like to be under the force or suasion of a power that you could not resist who was taking you to a place where you did not want to go. What about us? Where are we going? What is our ultimate destiny? Are we being led by forces that are greater than ourselves, stronger than ourselves? Or do we think, as many think, that we are the masters of our own destiny, that I'm determining my own outcome? What are the forces in our lives and where are they leading us? As Christians, we believe our destiny is completely changed as a consequence of a force changing in our lives, that there's a, an exchange of the forces that are leading us. We believe that when we put our faith in Christ, that no longer are we under the power of our own fallen nature that's leading us in, 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 to, to our own demise. We believe that that force has been changed to a stronger force that can free us from the forces that lead us into sin and death. Why, why do we believe that? Why do we believe that our response to Jesus Christ is a matter of life and death? Today's message is entitled... Oh, I forgot to go through these. Yeah, These are the six questions. Why do we believe that God is a personal... Uh, God, God, uh, God is... Oh, those got mixed up. Those got all mixed up. Somehow, when I redid it, it got mixed up. Yeah, number five turned into number six when I copied it. I don't know how that happened. So you've, you've read those questions enough to know the order, and so we won't go over them again. Click. <laughs> this morning's message is entitled, The Path of Life. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 24. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look into your word this morning, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 24, Lord, it just simply states what the whole Bible states. That there are two paths that men are on. An upward path and a downward path. Father, it can't be said in any simpler terms than what it said here in Proverbs. And if we're on the path that's being led upwards, Father, we're not on the path that's going downwards. We just pray, Father, this morning that we would contemplate this question. Where am I going? What is it that's leading me? What has hold of me and where is it taking me? Is it taking me to a place of blessing and reward and uh, and consolation and joy, or am I being led inextricably down, even being led in my own folly by my own will into into the depths of my own depravity? Where, where am I going, Lord, and how do I know which direction I'm headed? Father, we just pray that you would bless the reading of your word and the unpacking of this concept of the two paths so that we might be assured as we enter into communion this morning that we're in your arms being led by a power from above. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 24 simply says this, The path of life leads upward for the wise to keep him from going down to the grave. The theme of this morning's message is all men are on one or two paths. All men are on one or two paths. Again, verse 24 says, 
The path of life leads upward for the wise to keep him from going down to the grave. Going down to what in the Hebrew it says there is Sheol or hell. The path of the wise goes upwards and keeps them off the path that goes down to the grave. Um, now think about it this way, you know, this and throughout Proverbs and throughout the Old Testament and throughout Scripture as a whole, we're portrayed as being on one or two paths. And by definition, whatever path we're on will, uh, by definition, exclude us from being on the other path. So if we're on the path leading up to life, we're by definition not going to be on the path to the grave. Or if we're on the path to death, we're by definition not going to be on the path leading up to life. The idea of this, these two paths that, tra- that all men travel on is a major, if not the major, theme of the Bible. The path of the righteous and the path of the wicked uh, with their opposite destinations is a continuous theme throughout the whole Bible. For example, in the Old Testament we see when God was bringing Israel into the land, He brought her first into this valley, a valley between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And He set them in this valley and He had these two mountains as these monuments to uh, the covenant that they were entering into. And he said to them, look at these mountains here on both of your sides. There's, there's um, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Mount Ebal is going to be to you the symbol of disobedience. You're standing between these two mountains and Mount Ebal symbolizes disobedience and a curse that comes as a result of disobedience. And Mount Gerizim is this other mountain that symbolizes the choice of obedience and blessing. And he says, now I want you to choose this day. I want you to choose life. I want you to choose obedience. I want you to choose blessing. I want you to choose just going in my way so that I might pour out my blessings on you. He does this just as he brings them into the promised land. Of course, in the New Testament, we see these, these ideas clearly spelled out by Christ. For example, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, it says, Uh, Here in the words of Jesus Christ, it says, Enter in through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. So we see this motif throughout Scripture, this idea of the paths that men travel on. And again, the theme this morning is all men are on one of the two paths. We're on one of those two paths. All men are always traveling and on one of those two paths. Man's problem is, which is so clearly revealed in the Old Testament, is that by our very nature we resist the path of life. By our nature we resist the path of life. It's insane to resist the path of life. You can't have, there is no logical explanation why anyone would choose to do that. But it's clear from Scripture that it's just in our nature our fallenness, our brokenness to resist obedience. Point number one this morning is this, that outside of Christ, all men are under sin's reign. We're all under a power and a persuasion that that holds us and leads us in a direction where we really don't want to go. You know, like with Steve Santani and Olaf Wig, they they couldn't resist the power of their captors. They were going to go where they were going to take them. The only thing that ultimately released them was they got released by political forces that were greater than the power of their captors. But they themselves had no control over where they were going. They needed a deliverer. They needed something 
greater than the power that of that the persuasion of those guys that were holding them. Outside of Christ, we're all under sin's reign, is what the Bible teaches. We're all under a power of our the fallenness of our nature that is so powerful that we can't resist it uh, without the grace of uh, without entering into the grace of Jesus Christ. I want to use uh, a pa- some passage in in Romans that Paul uses to try to explain this condition, this human condition that falls upon all of humanity when he talks about the difference between Adam and Christ. And so reading from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, we see this. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, says this. Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by... The many di- for if by the many died by the trespass for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all men. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespasses might increase, but where sin increases, increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible is built around this idea of an agreement. This idea of an agreement between God and man. The Old Testament, we use the word testament, really means contract or agreement or covenant. The old covenant, the old agreement with God. The New Testament means the new covenant, the new agreement, the new contract between God and man. The new uh, contract that man enters in with God. The old conditions, or old agreements, could be seen like the first agreement was between God and Adam. Adam, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you'll remain in my garden, you'll remain in my presence, you'll remain in my blessing. I just have one rule, don't do it. Don't try to become like me. Don't try to decide for yourself right and wrong. Just follow me. Or in Deuteronomy, we saw you know the example of 
Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, the blessings and cursings. If you uh, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you if you if you disobey me, you'll you'll be under the curse. What the Old Testament revealed was that no matter how beneficial it is for men to live in obedience to God's will, He's incapable of doing so. He's incapable because His natural inclination is towards rebellion. Man is fallen. That's what the Old Testament reveals. If man weren't fallen, um, wouldn't it just be sensible to just follow God in the abundance of His blessing? Isn't the only rational thing to do if we were good by nature would be the thing to do the thing that is best for us? Do the thing that is that is beneficial. Um, men are all like sheep. We're like sheep whose shepherd wants to take us to a lush green pasture, but we are insistent on going our own way into a desolate desert. That's what we're like. We're 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 by nature wanting to break off from God and go our own way and end up in a barren uh, alienation from God. Following God's will only makes sense when we realize that the abundant life that He wants to lead us in and the dissolution and destitution and destruction uh, that we experience when we depart from God's love is a consequence of how we relate to God through Christ. Why are we so inclined to travel uh, on the path of death? Why aren't we inclined to travel on the path of life? Why wouldn't it be our nature to go where the blessings are. Why are we so naturally inclined to resist God's loving guidance? Why? Well, we're fallen by nature. When Adam intentionally rebelled against God, his offspring, his whole, the whole of humanity with him, uh, became broken. Uh, and w- one way you could think about it is, you know, we were all really with Adam at the moment of his sin, already existent in his loins. All of us came from Him, and we all came out of Him, and we all, in some sense, were there even in the garden. You can say, how is it that Adam's sin can be transferred onto me? But when he fell, all that came from him became a fallen race and entered into and under the dominion of sin and death. Our forefathers fell out of a perfect fellowship with God into brokenness, into a state of alienation. And we, Adam's offspring, were born into that state. Now many, perhaps even most people today, uh, reject this or deny this idea of the fallen nature of man. They teach that man is good by nature. Well, what is good? Just follow me for a minute. What exactly is good? If I say that chair is good, what do I mean? Or if I say I have a good car, what do I mean? Or if I say I have a good house, what do I mean? I mean that it functions in accordance to its design. I mean that it's all that it ought to be. If I say this chair is a good chair and I take away one of its legs or break off one of its legs, it's no longer a good chair because it can't function or it doesn't function. It's not all of what it ought to be. So if we're going to say man by nature is good, we're going to have to say that man by nature is all that he ought to be. It's all He's all that he designed to be. Is he that? Is man all that he was designed to be? Is he good by nature? Uh, Is he good? Is man everything he ought to be? You can't get a person on the face of the earth to say that mankind is all that it ought to be. 
You can say people are born good by nature, but if you ask them, are they all that is man all that he ought to be? We just know, we just innately know that we're less than we ought to be. Where do we get that idea? Animals don't have that idea. A dog doesn't think I'm less than what I was created to be. A dog doesn't think uh, the canine world is less than it ought to be. We just innately know that we're not what we ought to be, and we innately know that we're, we're fallen, that we fall short, that we're not what we ought to be, that the human race as a whole is less than it ought to be. We have terms to describe that less than oughtness by, you know, man's inhumanity to man. You don't need to look at anything but the morning newspaper to know that man is less than he ought to be, that we're subhuman. We're subhuman. We're less than what we think humanity ought to be. Um, We treat each other in ways that we ought not. You know, I was watching um, this. I don't know if any of you saw it. It was a Diane Sawyer special called Mean Girls. Anyone see that? It was, uh, you saw that one? It was, a, it was a little experiment they did with these high school girls, and they put them in different rooms on these computers, and they had a goal for these girls to try to become accepted by the, the older group. And uh, they just let these girls go at it. And, oh, my goodness, these sweet, innocent-seeming little girls, it was unbelievable what came out of them, what was really there. It was shocking in a way, but it, it revealed something really true about them and about humanity. It uncovered the nature that was there. And they were less than they ought to be. (laughs) You can say that for sure. You know, some of us think, I'm good because I'm better than other people. I'm not really fallen. I'm not really fallen because look at me. I'm better than these other totally broken people. people all around me. Well, let me try to give an illustration. When archaeologists go out and find ruins of once glorious structures, like the Acropolis in, 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 uh, in Greece, what do they find? They find a pile of broken down stones. The whole building is broken. It's less than it ought to be. It, it, isn't, it doesn't even begin to approximate the glory that it used to be. And as they sort through the stones... Some are completely shattered, and others are almost intact. You know, you might find a, a column, a fluted stone that's part of a column laying by its side that has some chips out of it, but it's pretty much completely intact. And that stone could say, I'm not broken. Yes, you are. You're broken. You're part of a broken structure. You may not be as broken as the other rocks, but you're part of a fallen humanity. You're part of a fallen structure. Just because you're not as broken doesn't mean you're not broken. Uh, you're still not part of what you ought to be. In order for you to be all that you ought to be, you would need to be restored to the ultimate structure that gave you meaning to begin with. Even if, you, even if some stonemason came along and dressed you up and made you look like you were the day you were put on top of the column or in, into the column, you'd still be less than you would ought to be uh, if you're not part of that column that you were designed to be part of. We're all part of a broken-down ruin. The best of men are just less broken than other blocks, uh, the other blocks of humanity. Again, 
Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, through 14 says, Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sin, before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was the pattern of the one to come. Uh, We are born into the fallenness of Adam's sin. You might want to think about it this way. Um, Did you sign the Declaration of Independence? Were you there on the day the Declaration of Independence was signed, or is your signature on the Declaration of Independence? Of course not. Did those signers of the Declaration of Independence intend for this document only to govern them and their families? or only the generation in which they were signing it for? Of course not. We are all under the power of the constituted authority that began with the signing of the Declaration of Independence. We all live in this constitutional republic as representatives of our our forefathers had represented us to be under this authority all these years later. We all enjoy the benefits of their actions of signing that document. We didn't sign it. But what happened that day has been passed down in in a um, representative kind of way all the way to us. We live under the Constitution that our forefathers signed. And um, Adam's sin is also established for himself, but not just for himself, but for all of his offspring. We live under, outside of Christ, we live under the authority of sin which leads to death. We live under a nature that causes us to resist God's way, resist God's love. Verse 17 says, For if by the trespasses of one man, what reigns? By the trespass of Adam, death reigns through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If you're thinking that sin hasn't ever become your master, if you're thinking, I'm my own master, have you ever lied? Well, when you lied, I think everyone would say, I've lied before. When you lied, uh, why did you lie? Did you lie because you wanted to? Or did you lie because you really didn't want to? What about impure thoughts? Have you ever had impure thoughts or critical thoughts? What about your lips? Have you ever spoken wrongly? Uh, What about that? Did you do those things because you wanted to? Or because you really didn't want to? You did it because you wanted to. We do what we do because we want to. The sin that we do has been is authored out of our own desires. Have you ever given in to envy and, and covetousness and thought about what somebody else has but you don't have? Did you do that because you didn't want to do it? No, you did it because you wanted to do it. You did it because those desires are within you. What about bitterness and resentment? Did you enter into that because you wanted to or because you didn't want to? We do what we do because we want to and we're and, and that's what, what is the evidence of our being under the reign of sin. If we want to sin, 
we're under fallen desires. We're under the power and persuasion of sin. We're under the brokenness of our own fallen natures. And out of our natures, we want to do things that are stupid. We want to do things that lead us into uh, and out uh, into desolation and out of God's the fullness of God's provision. Outside of Christ, we are ruled by our own fallen nature. We do what we want to do, and what we want to do leads on death's path. All men are on one or two paths. Outside of Christ, all men are under sin's reign. And then the, the good news of the gospel, the great news of the gospel, is the door is open to us. We don't have to be under sin's reign. We don't have to live a moment under sin's reign. We don't have to live a, a, a second under sin's reign because, point number two, is in Christ we're under the reign of God's grace. We're under a more powerful uh, persuasion. The reason why we consider our response to Christ to be a matter of life and death is because outside of Christ we're controlled by sin, but inside of Christ, inside of Christ we are controlled by a whole new power, a whole new authority, a whole new opportunity for mankind. In Christ, we are under the reign of God's grace. We have a liberator in Christ. We have a power that can break the power of our own nature. We have a, the grace of God has the ability to lift us out of our own evil persuasions. For if by the trespasses of one man, death uh, reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? It's talking about powers reigning and, con- and competing powers reigning. If by one man, Adam, we entered into and were under the reign of death, how much more through God's grace and the righteousness of Jesus Christ and faith in Christ can we enter into and be under a different power? under a different authority, under a different reign. In Christ, we come under a new governing principle. We come under a new reign. We come under the power of a different kind of control. God's grace, His favor, uh, His His favor that we haven't earned and we don't deserve has been poured out to rule over us and to subordinate the rule of our own fallenness through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life for us and died as a sacrifice in our place. The power of grace might snatch us out of the power of our fallen nature that has been leading us inevitably towards death, and instead bring us into eternal life. Think of what it must have been like that day of liberation for those who were in concentration camps in Germany. Think about it, what it would be the, the day they saw the Allies open the gate. And at that very moment, they were no, no longer under the reign of those who were marching them off to the death chambers. And they were now under the reign of those who were going to bring them into liberty. In a day, they did nothing. They did nothing on their own. They had no power to change the powers that were over them. But in a day, those powers changed. And when we enter into faith in Christ Jesus, the powers change. We, didn't, we don't overthrow the old power. We don't, by our own will, overthrow our own sin. We can't. It's stronger than we are. But we can give ourselves to the liberty of Christ, and He 
has the power to totally annihilate the enemy and overthrow the reigning power of sin in our lives. That's why we believe that our response to Christ is a life and death matter. Because death is our only consequence without Christ. We're still in the concentration camp of Adam without Christ. We're still under the control of our captor without Christ. And in Christ, we are freed from the power of sin. Our freedom from death finds its key in this idea of being in Christ. It's being in and under the authority of Christ. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is, what? In Christ, if anyone is in Christ, it doesn't say everyone's a new creation. It says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It's like that day when the concentration camp was open. The old was gone, the new has come. Anyone that's in Christ, the, the old is gone and the new has come. Our nature starts to change. We begin being transformed. In Christ means what? What do you think in Christ means? It means to be under His influence and submitted to His authority. And in that we become new creations. We become new creations when we humbly uh, enter into and submit ourselves to His authority. And, and we begin to be transformed into what we ought to be. He begins to change us from what we are to what we ought to be. And our destination goes from death to life. Where do we come from and where are we going? Our destiny is determined by the direction we're traveling. Looking back at uh, Proverbs chapter 15, verse uh, 24, it says, The path of life leads upward for the wise to keep him from going down to the grave. Are we being lifted up in Christ? Or are we subject to the downward gravitational forces of our own fallen nature? And we can, we can answer that question any, any moment of any day. You know, just by, if, if you've ever had the lifting power of Christ in your life, you know what it's like to be free and you know what it's like to be a slave. And, you know, unfortunately that old nature wins out sometimes and begins to call us back into the grave. Once we've tasted, though, of the liberty of Jesus Christ, who wants it? Who really wants it? Isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy when we have a liberator that will lead us to higher places to be once again seek to rule our own lives and run our own uh, will, run our lives by our own will? Today, when we take communion, you know, if you need to repent, this is just 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 know that the grace of God is always there. It's always waiting. If you need to say, you know, this week. I was sideways. I was walking in death. I was being uh, controlled by my own passions, my own desires, my own my own fallenness. I was I wasn't being lifted higher into you. And I want to just humbly come into Lord your presence. And I want your arms to hold me. And I want your power to deliver me. I want to be in you. And I want you to be in me. I recognize in you, Lord, that the power of sin is broken, and I'm able to live joyfully in you regardless of what's going on around me and 
Hopefully you're here this morning, you're already in the arms of the Savior. You're already in, in Christ. You, you don't need to repent of anything. You, you've come in and you're in Christ. And you just want to rejoice in communion. Just rejoice and affirm that it, He's your Savior and that He's lifted you by His grace. And that by grace you've been saved. That you're a sinner saved by grace. Oh, let us say something to Christ in our hearts this morning as we take communion. Let us say something to Him. Let us say how much we need Him and how much we want Him. How much we need our Deliverer. The theme this morning again is all men are on one of two paths. Point number one is outside of Christ, all men are under sin's reign. Point number two is in Christ, we are all under the reign of God's grace. I'd like to conclude this morning by reading Psalm 16, verse 11. You have made known to me the path of life. David says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Joy, eternal pleasures at your right hand. Where? In your presence. David knew even before Christ, he knew that Christ was the path of life. And he recognized the consequence of walking on that path would be joy in the presence of God, filled with eternal pleasures at your right hand, the hand of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father. Why wouldn't we in our right mind want to be on that path? Everyone really should want to be on that path, but we discover we can't get on that path without Christ. We discover that there's a force that keeps us captive without Christ. We can't enter into that joy without Christ. We can't enter into those eternal pleasures without Christ. We need Jesus, and that's what we want to say when we come to the communion this morning. We need you, Lord. We need your liberating grace. We need your grace that forgives us for all sins, past, present, and future. And we need the power of your Holy Spirit to live in us and to reign and rule in our lives. Let me ask the ushers to come forward. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, you, you haven't seen anything that causes you to blush. You know everything that uh, we have done. You knew it, and you really anticipated it even before it happened. Father, you know that we can't go home and make a resolution that I am going to do better and, and expect us to do better. Father, we can no more resolve to be free from our fallen nature than Steve Santani could resolve to be free from his captor. His only hope was that pressure greater than their power would release him. And, Lord, we come before you, Lord, acknowledging that we cannot overcome the gravitational forces of our own nature that lead us away from you, that lead us into desolation, that lead us into wrong behavior, that lead us into our own angst and our own lost uh, suffering. Without you, Lord, we need our Savior, and we don't need you just once in our life in one moment. We need you. We need to be with you continually. We need to live in Christ. 
we are new, Lord, when we're in you. All things have passed away when we're in you. We just pray, Father, that as we uh, recognize your communion elements this morning, that we will be inviting you in us and us in you. In Christ's name we pray.